Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. I am your host, Tom Fulg. In these episodes, we will meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and even heal under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and their talents to all of us. And today I'm very happy to say that we have as our guest, Francesca Arnoldi, who is a contemplative doula, which as I understand it is a has a compassionate heart and a curious mind. We'll find out more about that. Welcome, Francesca. Thank you, Tom, happy to be here. I'm very glad to have you here. And as I mentioned briefly before we started this, the only thing I know about being a doula or having doula is when my wife gave birth 23 years ago, we had a wonderful lady who was a birth doula along with our midwife. and. Uh, thank goodness for her. That was such a, a saving grace for us all. But tell me, does I know there's more than that, and I know that what you're doing is maybe somewhat different than that. So, well, I did start as a birth doula. So initially, I trained as a postpartum doula. That was 12 years ago now. And I would support families with their transition as they welcomed a new family member. And then I trained to become a childbirth educator. And on occasion, I still will teach childbirth preparation classes privately to people, even through the pandemic. I pivoted to virtual classes and also then became a birth doula and supported people through their pregnancy journey and creating their wishes and plans. And then was on call for their births and would attend births and then visit with them postpartum. So I still do that work on occasion, especially with repeat clients as my schedule allows. But into my work, well into it, we began to have some personal losses as a family with family members, extended family members and our dog, quite a few in a span of a couple of years. And I, and I began to realize that my role that I would naturally just embody during those times of intensity of leading up to the dying and then the dying process and then the grieving process after felt very similar to my role as a birth doula. So I became more and more interested in exploring end of life care. And that's when I was in conversation with a program developer at the University of Vermont about birth doula related trainings and the Cabot co-op they approached UVM and asked if UVM would be interested in starting an end of life doula training program. So the program developer asked me, said, you know, I know we've been discussing birth care. What do you think about death care? And I said, actually, it's something I've been very interested in pursuing. So I'm incredibly ready, willing. It's a big yes for me. And so I really delved into the topic starting in 2016, more professionally and academically following that span of time when we experienced quite a bit of loss ourselves. So now I'm, I feel very fortunate to be able to hold space for the beginning of life and for the end of life. Let me ask you this question because you've said this a couple of times and I think it's vital. Holding space, how would you define that? I would define that as creating an energetic container, so an atmosphere surrounding someone who is experiencing a process, a journey, physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, 
socially that can be mysterious and overwhelming. So like birth can be and like death can be and even the grieving process as well. When I'm holding space, what I'm doing is I'm entering in with a presence that is centered, grounded, calm, trusting, and open to welcoming in what needs to be a part of this for the person that I'm supporting. So not having an agenda, not having a strict plan in mind, being very flexible. I consider myself to be a chameleon caregiver. So I assess the needs of the moment and attend to them and move in and move out in accordance with what would be most supportive for that person at that time. Well, taking the, the in order of what we see in life, let's talk about birth to begin with. Uh, what is the thing that you see most of all in being a birth doula? What are the, ex the feelings, the experiences that you're there to support? I, I have a, something that was surprising for me, something unanticipated. I, I do find it very meaningful to journey with someone through the challenges that arise. So not only the joys and the beauty of birth and that initial meeting and greeting with that new human life form, which is amazing every single time. I actually find it really rich to be in those moments when a person is maybe doubting themselves, when perhaps old wounds are surfacing and that can catch someone off guard, perhaps when they are really lacking in confidence, feeling like they can't go on or they don't know what to do, they feel very lost. Those are the moments that I feel as humans, we are so deserving of another person's presence, someone who's going to believe in us when we can't believe in ourselves and make sure that we don't feel alone or neglected during those difficult periods. That's wonderful. I remember so clearly 23 years ago when my wife was giving birth, which is what we did at home, um, which was an amazing experience. And the pain came and of course, you know, we all knew there was gonna be pain, although I, I wasn't experiencing it at least I was experiencing what I thought I was going to experience in a way of pain. Uh, but one thing that, she, that, that the, the doula and midwife kept helping her with was this is the only pain, you probably the only pain you'll have, which leads to a very good result. That this pain is good pain. It's, it's leading to something. It's helping you open up to the delivery. And Yes, it's very purposeful. Purposeful. And that was very helpful to her because it got out of that what I saw for a minute or what I thought I saw was a panicky, oh my God, what's with this pain? I can't tolerate it or I won't be, it'll never end or something like that. Uh, on the other hand, I had a different experience because I wasn't giving birth, but I was sitting behind my wife. She was leaning against me. And later after our daughter was born, the next day I said to her, why do I have this, this bruise on my chest? And she said, that's because I was hitting you with my head every time there was a, was a, a contraction. I said, I don't even remember that. I was so focused that I didn't feel the pain at all. <laughs> yeah, and beyond the physical, I've certainly seen partners take on a lot emotionally. And I think that when we go into the uh, birthing experience, we assume that, you know, the people who are taking care of our physical needs and caring for the baby are going to be there every single minute, every step of the way. And that's not necessarily the case. They are available 
and they're checking in with us and they're making sure they're monitoring, they're making sure everyone is safe and healthy and well, and to the best of their ability and based on their availability, they are present, but it's not continuous support like what a doula is able to offer because doulas are non-medical support providers. So we're not documenting, we're not monitoring, we're not tracking. We leave that to the healthcare professionals. And instead we're really attending to the emotional and depending on how people define it, the spiritual needs of the birthing or dying clients that we're supporting. And I think that for partners, especially during the birth of a child, there's a lot of weight there. And so if there's not another additional presence who's quite familiar with birth, then that falls to the partner when the birthing person is saying, you know, I have questions, what does this mean? Am I doing this right? What else can I try? I need some new ideas. This isn't working anymore. What do you think about this? And you're, you're in the throes of this physical experience. That's, that's really intense, but also a decision-making points where um, a, a birthing person's not really in the headset or shouldn't be in the headset of being able to think logically instead you know, we hope that we can encourage that person to tap into their more primal part of their brain and let their bodies take over because we know how to labor and birth effectively as human beings, as animal beings. And um, so it can be very weighty for partners. And as a doula, I find that a really important part of my role is making sure that partners are able to be and stay within their comfort zone. So it could be that I'm providing direct support and I'm kind of the primary care provider. And then the partner is next in line and is involved at that level, or it might be the other way around, or it, it might change from moment to moment, contraction to contraction. I might suggest that a partner rest because they're going to be tending to a newborn. And while I get to go home and sleep after a birth and, um, it really, it really varies every time. What my role will entail depends on the preferences of the family that I'm supporting and how that particular birth is unfolding. Oh, yes, and it depends uh, on the work you've done before. I mean, that you and the family have done before getting to know one another and getting, you, you just don't come in cold as, oh, here's your, your person, here's your doula, here's your, your midwife. You have, we've, we had a lot of contact beforehand and came comfortable with the people that were going to be helping us. And certainly I had my emotional things about caring for my wife, wanting her to be, when she was in pain, I think one of the hardest things for a partner is to see the, their partner in pain mm -hmm. and, and, and to be uh, neutral, if you will, about that, mm -hmm. instead of going, I got to fix it, or I've got to make it better for her or something, but to know that it also, I had to know that it was good pain. Yeah. And it can leave people feeling quite helpless. And I try to remind them that, in all my years of supporting families that often the feedback I hear is I hear a partner saying, I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I wish I could have taken over some of the contractions. I wish I could have taken that some on myself. I just felt so useless. And then I hear in, you know, the new mother, the, the person parenting and birthing say, I couldn't have done it without you. Right. Well, it, you don't even aware, you're not even aware, like I wasn't aware that but my wife was hitting me in the chest with her head every time mm -hmm. she had a contraction. Mm -hmm. But that's what she was. She was certainly aware that I was behind her there. And, and that's I had her back, so to speak. <laughs> uh, yes, the back of her head, <laughs> the back of her head. Well, that, yeah, it's, it's a, and it's a wonderful I mean, ultimately, it was it was and is a wonderful experience. And I'm so glad that 
doulas and midwives exist. And we had a doctor on call and all of that, but you know, in case there was a need, unfortunately, there was no such need. And we have a beautiful 23 year old daughter today uh, who doesn't want us talking about this at all, <laughs> which is only natural. Well, I think it's, it's wonderful that we can take those approaches and that type of support and translate it to end of life. Because I think that culturally we've decided that death is very scary, that it has to be very painful, that it has to happen behind closed doors, that it's so mysterious. And there might just be a lot of beauty in death in the connections that we make in our sense of togetherness and the support that we provide and in the natural unfolding of, of the dying process and our bodies knowing how to die. Of course, medical interventions are wonderful when they're needed. And, and yet it is a human journey that we all will go through. Absolutely. And I agree with you totally that the, the fear of death that has been incorporated into this civilization is, is very hard to overcome. And I would imagine most of us go into that time fearing it and not having the background or the experience. We can't have the experience twice, I don't suppose, in, in, in this lifetime. But how do you help people? How do you talk with them? Do you explain things to them? Or do you just, as you say, be there for them? I do think that that planning and preparation, just as we do while clients are pregnant for birth care is equally valuable for death care. And I think more and more people are waking up to the reality of mortality, especially through the pandemic, and are even thinking about putting plans in place while they're in good health or while they're potentially younger. And that is really heartening. And I think that more and more we're going to come to realize that if we can lean into that fear and work through some of our anxieties ahead of time, ask the questions, raise the concerns, and then start to get some of our own planning in place that it really does lift a burden. And additionally, to dissipate the fear, I think witnessing death is, is what our culture needs. We've really stopped you know, including our children and including younger generations in, these, in the process of birthing and in the process of dying. So we just don't see them. We don't have a frame of reference going in. It's, it's so unknown to us. So we imagine how it might be, or we think about the movies we've seen or books we've read, and, and that becomes our frame of reference. Yet when you can attend deaths and you can see it and hear it and be a part of it and support people through it, generally that alleviates some of that fear of the unknown. We get more comfortable with it. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean it's not a heartbreak when you experience a loss, yet it, we do get more comfortable with it and we can start to see and discover the, the beauty in this natural process. What could you, would you say is the fear the most? Because the fear of the unknown, as you just mentioned, is that what most people seem to fear? I think so. I think a lot of people in at large are afraid because as you said, we can't know for sure until it's our time to die. I think that some people hold fear of pain and suffering and suffering is not just physical pain and other people fear loss of independence, loss of how they define dignity 
at the end of life. So there are a variety of fears, but once we can verbalize those fears and talk them through with either care providers, the people who will be attending to our physical needs at the end of life and also our loved ones, and then start to think about our wishes and preferences and how the people who will be caring for us can best honor our personhood, no matter how dependent we might become upon them for our care, that does seem to, to be very beneficial and supportive. Yes, and one of the things that I think of my experience is that writing this out in like using a will and the, the various things that go along with the will, not just the will, but the power of you know medical, um, I don't know, I remember the name, Oh, so yeah, and advanced directives. Advanced as well. directives, correct. Mm -hmm. To say, I want this when I am in this situation, and have my wife and I just actually completed that because we had we had moved to a new town and we hadn't we realized we had none of that information in our old wills, so we changed it. But but it reminded me again of you know it's good to have it written to know that this is people have this. Someone is going to take my take this because I've I've given them the power and they know what I need. And that, that is uh, helpful and takes some of the fear away. It does. I, it provides relief. Yes. I also found something, and I don't know, I think this may be what you're talking about. I had never seen death until my father died. And then I went to the hospital and, I, and, and saw him. It was the most, I don't know, the relieving thing in the world. It was something about seeing him. Basically, this is my point of view, and I don't, you know, everyone doesn't have to subscribe to it. I looked at him and I said, he's not there. He's gone, and I don't have to worry about him. And he's not in any pain or any difficulty. And then I have my own beliefs on where he might be. But that's, it was just, I never had that. And I must have had in my mind imaginations of what it would look like or feel like that were not anything like what it was. I think you make a good point when we are able to be with our dying people and or visit them afterward when they have died, it really facilitates that integration of what happened, the, the truth and reality of what happened. Otherwise, it, it can feel quite surreal. And as you said, then we have to depend on our imagination and we're envisioning what it might have been like or what it might have looked like or what our person may be like once dead. And I, and I think that we can trust people. We can have, we can cultivate a little bit more trust in people that they can handle that. And that it's actually going to facilitate a more healthy grieving and bereavement period following the loss. Right. And you also, as I understood what you were saying before, work with people in their grieving process, which is another place where I think we have shut it down too much instead of saying it's okay to grieve and hear what are your feelings and have your feelings and have someone like you be in support of that. Agreed. And I've been able to be a part of a research project. So we have an IRB approved research project and I'm partnering with our head of palliative care locally to support people through the grieving process during the pandemic. So we invite people who have experienced a loss during the pandemic, either directly because of COVID or indirectly affected by COVID. And these could be clinicians, affected staff, family members, neighbors, friends, loved ones, relatives, anyone who has experienced a loss can sign up for a story listening session. And we have trained doulas who have completed the eight-week UVM course and who have 
also completed additional training as story listening doulas and we do it via Zoom. And our doulas are, are trained to be receptive listeners and to approach support in really specific ways that include suspending judgment, that include being non-directive, allowing the participant to lead the depth and the path on the unfolding of their story. And so people are able to share in a really unfiltered way what the dying experience was like for them as potentially a witness, potentially as someone who wasn't able to visit or be with their person, or potentially they weren't able to gather after their person had died for a funeral or services because of the pandemic. And it's been incredibly meaningful to catch these stories and to listen to all that mourners have been carrying during this time, whether it's professionally and people who have had to kind of step in and be at the bedside when we weren't able to join our loved ones who were dying because of restrictions and the people who maybe weren't able to be there themselves and wish they could have. It's always unique in a variety of stories, but it's been really meaningful for me to still connect with people because the pandemic, as we know, has really caused additional layers of suffering because of the loneliness that people have felt during this time. And so being able to be a presence even virtually for someone has been incredible and to learn more every time I hear about how someone is integrating a loss and is enduring this heartbreak and is really thinking about their, their new normal, their new self following this drastic life change. I feel like I'm always learning from everyone that I'm supporting, whether it's through birth, death or grief. That is quite wonderful. Absolutely, Francesca. This is exactly why, if I can say this about myself, uh, why I'm doing this program, to bring information to people about good news, about how you can get some help during this period, because the pandemic has been amazingly difficult for everybody involved, and that you exist. What is the name of this program again? It's through the Vermont Conversation Lab at the University of Vermont, and it's called the Story Listening Project. And we're welcoming anyone from the U.S. to email or call to book a session with a story listening doula who has experienced a loss. That's, that's amazing. That's quite wonderful. I'm so glad that you are doing this. And while we're not, well, I'm going to get to it. You'll give us some way to get in touch with you at the end because I want to go on a little further. We have a, little, we have a few more minutes. Amazingly how quick this goes by, but it's been quite wonderful listening to you and, and that to know that you exist and that you're, not only are you existing, but you're teaching more people. I wanted to get to that. What you created was a program at the University of Vermont. Can you tell us some about that? Sure. We launched in 2017 and have been going strong ever since. So even from the outset, we've been an online training program and we've been able to reach a global audience. So as of right now, not including our current session, we have over 1400 graduates and I we kept having wait lists because the demand was so strong. So I trained some of our graduates to become facilitators so that we could open up more sections and people would still feel like it's a cozy community. So we have groups of 25 working through our eight week program together. And it's wonderful. The community building, the trust, the rapport, the honest sharing, the healing that happens, 
And the, the people that are attracted to this course, initially, I had assumed that we would have a lot of people intending to become private practice doulas. So someone who's going to hang a shingle and be in private practice and, and have an LLC business. We do have those people every time, but we also have doctors, nurses, mental health professionals, spiritual care providers, hospice volunteers, and people who in their personal lives know of someone close to them who is terminally ill and they would like to be better prepared to offer support. So our hope is that we can welcome any humans who are interested in this field to then be able to incorporate new ideas, new approaches, and work on their own stuff, baggage, grief, wounds that they carry, and work on their own planning and preparation. So we have eight modules that are applicable to anyone. And then we have a bonus module that focuses on the private practice work of a doula so that we can cater to those needs as well. But that work is not required and we don't have any assignments or anything. So it's been an amazing learning journey for me. And I'm continually updating and revising our content. And I'm always learning from people who come from all corners and who can share and teach us, you know, what the practices are in their country and their home of origin. So it's been amazing. We've expanded to also now offer a companion animal end of life doula training program. So preparing doulas to support people through pet loss. And we've offered that for the past, uh, it's been over a year now, really well received and an amazing specialization for our doulas. It is quite a wonderful uh, specialization. We uh, ha had that experience two years ago when the, our dog of 14 years passed and we were able to do it at home with a wonderful vet being with us and uh, just beautifully done and gave us and our daughter who's um, one of, probably had the most, um, not the most, but was un, unseen. She was the one who picked out the, the dog. She was the one who picked up Rosie and said, when she was five years old, she said, this is our dog, Rosie. And said, okay, and then we adopted the dog. But so when, when Rosie had to, had to be put down, had to be let go, um, she was there with us too. And, and that was wonderful that it could all happen at home and not in a setting that was uncomfortable for anybody, including the dog. That's beautiful. I mean, what a gift. And to hear you reflect on that experience, which is certainly heartbreaking and a profound loss in your lives, but to hear that you found the beauty in it and that you felt well supported through it. And you know that Rosie was well cared for as well. It makes a huge difference. Yes, it does. And it also made a huge difference because we waited a year, but then we adopted again. And we, you know, we're so in love with our dog again. And it's like, I know you must know Rosie. So <laughs> uh, it's just quite wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, Francesca, this has been marvelous. I am so happy that I have got this opportunity to talk with you and to invite you to share with people. And I do hope that many people will want to find out more. And if that's the case, people who are listening to this now or later on wish to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? There are a couple of ways. You can come onto my website, which is contemplativedoula.com. I also have a new website, which is my name. So it's Francesca, F-R-A-N-C-E-S-E-A, Lynn, L-Y-N-N, Arnoldy, A-R-N-O-L-D-Y 
www.thecoachesdoctor.com. And there I am just beginning to share the news about a picture book that I'm publishing, which is about loss so that we can gently introduce this concept of mortality to younger generations in a well-supported way. So that book will be published in the fall, which I'm very excited about. And people could also easily internet search UVM doula to find out about the program. Okay. That's quite wonderful. Well, all of that you're doing is a grand. Last question before we have to say goodbye. What is your hope, vision for the future? We are coming to a time when it looks like, at least we can be hopeful that this pandemic will be calmed down enough that we can sort of go back to what was normal. And yet, I don't think we want to go back to exactly where we were. What do you want to go back to? I think returning to physical connection to being at the bedside more often. And once again, being able to hold someone's hand and offer a hug, all of those aspects of our past lives, I'm looking forward to returning to. But like you said, I hope that we don't quickly forget what an impact this pandemic has had on all of us. And I hope we don't quickly forget that we are mortal, that our time is limited and that we need to live our lives with intention and keep our priorities at the fore. Absolutely. And also that we've learned and heard from you and a lot of people I've talked to that Zoom, while it's not the same as being in person, can reach out so many more ways and, and to cross continents and, and, and reach people who otherwise would never be reached. So as not to lose that while still having adding back the, the in-person. Agreed. I think that we will continue forward with a hybrid sort of variety of options. And you think about funerals, services, enabling people who couldn't otherwise travel to still be a part of those gatherings will be wonderful moving forward. Absolutely. And again, we talk births and deaths. We talk marriage and stuff. Uh, one of the people I talked with and had an interview with was a marriage uh, I'm going to say marriage doula. That's not what she was called. <laughs> like an officiant? <laughs> an officiant. That's the word. I kept wanting to call her a doula. Uh, and, and she was pointing out that same very same thing, that people who lived in other lands and couldn't before come to the wedding could come now, and they could come from all over the world. And that's an, an advantage to Zoom, not the same as having people. You could do both, I imagine. You know, mm -hmm. have a, a private funeral for the people who can come, and then add Zoom to it, I would think. Agreed. So, I think if we can keep it in mind, all of the amazing benefits of the internet and technology and being connected, and also the incredible benefits of unplugging and being fully present in person I'm, with others. Absolutely, absolutely. And being able on any occasion to go hug somebody. One yes. of the nicest things in the last month has been our 23-year-old daughter who's fully vaccinated and we who are fully vaccinated actually met for the first time in, in months and hugged each other. We spent mm. most of our time together hugging, just like I can't get enough of the hugs. Mm -hmm. And it's so incredible. it's wonderful and necessary. Well, Francesca, this has been a delight. I thank you so much for participating in the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes and telling us so much about what you do, what a doula does and, and what possibilities there are for all of us in life, birth and death. Thank you very much for that. Well, thank you, Tom, for the invitation. It was my pleasure. You're quite welcome.